Welcome to the Heroes at Home podcast, where we believe heroes can thrive both at work and at home. This podcast is for those who stand watch while we sleep, who run into buildings while others run out, for those who deploy to hard places to have hard fights, and for the families that support them. Through candid conversation, we will discuss the side of things that don't get glorified in the media, what happens when they come home. We'll be talking with heroes from all walks of life and their partners, children, friends, and beyond, so together we can build a stronger family. I'm Noel Metter, CEO, joined by my co-host, Kenny Thomas. All right, I'm excited today. I finally get to, we get to talk to somebody that I know something about, like other than, if we go back to the very first one where Jeff Struker and I served in the Ranger Regiment together, and then Brandon, the guy is going to was a ranger in the ranger regiment. Yeah, well, this is the easy walk for you. I'm like still looking up terms like, okay, so what does this mean? What does that mean? So yeah, you're still trying to figure out what a beret is. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a silly little hat. It's not something that I put in my daughter's hair. You know, there we go. Yeah, it's a, it's a silly little hat that artists use uh, and that Snoopy wore, but it looks pretty cool on, you know, special operations guys. Yeah, exactly. No, I think, uh, man, Brandon, getting a little bit of time with him before uh, our interview, uh, I think what you're going to find is someone that's very real and his story mirrors a lot of the stories that we've heard on this podcast, but in a different way, more compelling. So with that, we're going to jump right in. Well, welcome. We're super excited to have Brandon Young with us, man. This is a uh, well, it's kind of a reunion, I'd have to say, Kenny. The fact that you guys serve together. So maybe we'll start there. Uh, what's the connection? Well, we're both combat veterans of the 75th Ranger Regiment, which is three Ranger battalions. So whenever you get guys together that served in the regiment, they'll always ask and talk about what battalions they're in and then the time frame. And so Brandon and I crisscrossed, so we were playing the name game. So we knew so we knew Jim, sorry, maybe he believes we knew him, we knew Matt, we knew all these guys it, because it's such a small community that even up to, I bet now we could probably still find guys that are still in right now that we knew that started back then. So it's, it's yeah. always, you, it's such a small, small world in that, especially in the Ranger Battalion. So it's been, yeah. this will be a good one for me. I, I'll actually have something of value to add. <laughs> I'll be the guy sitting in the back going, okay, let me look up. What is that black beret? Uh, I need to figure out what that means. So, yeah. you know, it's a, uh, this is yeah. definitely your guys' world. And Brandon, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show, man. I know you're a busy guy. You got a lot of responsibilities, but I think your story, as, as I heard more, is like, oh, man, our audience, our listeners, they need to hear this. So so thanks for being with us. Well, no, thanks for inviting me. Thanks for all that you're doing at Stronger Families, uh, for military families out there. Frankly, I wish that we would have had this when I was a ranger and I was doing multiple deployments. It's an honor. So it's a, it's a real honor to be here and it's a real joy Kenny and I got a chance to link up, gosh, 22 years ago over a beer. And just I got to hear Kenny play live in a real intimate setting in Columbus, Georgia with our friend Jim. He's like, oh, you got to you got to come see my Ranger buddy play. He's the jam. We got to got to listen to him, got to have a beer together and we've done the name game. So, yeah, it's a real honor. Anytime I get to connect with another Ranger is a good time. And anytime I get to see a Ranger I haven't seen in 22 years, it's an even better time. And, and, and you know what was great is neither one of us got fat. I like that too. It's like usually when you take the uniform off, it's like you go, 
<laughs> and but we stayed in shape, so good job, Brandon. <laughs> no man, thanks. Right back at you, Ranger buddy. And that's what we're going to be talking about. How do you stay in shape after you leave the service? That is what this. No, just kidding. No, we're we're going to be diving into really. I think Brandon, your story, which is probably not unlike many others, fast track into the military. So I'm not going to steal any thunder. I want you to share. But I think a lot of our military that listen, they're like, "Yep, that's similar to my story." So let's start there. Sure. I joined the Army in 1997, right after I graduated high school. And I had come from a pretty troubled home. I had a really abusive father. He took off on us when I was 11, and things just got more challenging. I wanted to do something with my life. I wanted to be somebody. And I was a a really aggressive and violent and angry guy. And so I joined, and after finishing all the prereqs, I was assigned to the 2nd Ranger Battalion up in Fort Lewis, Washington, now JBLM, as we all know. I did the do there. We trained day in, day out, got ready for uh, the fight anytime the fight was necessary, anytime we needed to bring the pain. And by the time the towers fell on 9-11, I was already a staff sergeant. I was a squad leader at the time. And I was also engaged to be married. And in, in many contexts, the story of my family is also intertwined so deeply with the story of my service. So Kelly and I were engaged. We were supposed to be married in December. Her mother was sick with cancer, and what ended up happening is that the towers fell on the 11th. Six days later, Kelly and I, her mother was on hospice care. We called it Justice of the Peace Over. We got married in the living room at the house that she grew up in. Two days later, her mother died, and about five days later, I was overseas in the Middle East for my first time. So do the math, I was was over in the Middle East within about 10 to 14 days of the towers falling on 9-11. I was there for about 30 days and was able to call home. And Kelly said, well, I'm pregnant. And I said, of course you are. That sounds right. And then nine months later, I was listening to my son being born from a satellite phone in Bagram, Afghanistan. I just missed a lot. I was around for about three of the first 36 months of our marriage. Any marriage is hard. Any beginning of a marriage is hard. I would say that ours was traumatic. Uh, I became a war commuter. I, I, I would end up doing four total rotations to Afghanistan. And by the time the war was just, it just wasn't stopping. And we, we kind of knew, we, you know, we had that clear line of sight that this was not going to end anytime soon. I asked for a compassionate reassignment from my command at 2nd Ranger Battalion to go down to regimental headquarters and be a part of the assessment and selection team. I got a chance to do that. It was a real incredible gift and it was an opportunity to be around. And I, I got to see my daughter born I've seen a lot of really cool things in my life. I've been on a lot of birds flaring on a target and all that good stuff. Seen a lot of cool stuff blow up. I've never seen anything so powerful as the birth of a child. And it really just made me think, well, what do I want to do here? And I and what I wanted to try to do is figure out, as ill-equipped as I was to be a dad, because I never had a dad, as ill-equipped as I was to be a husband, because I just saw marriage fall apart and the toxicity of that, I wanted to try to figure out how I could do that. And so I got out of the military and I made, um, I made some big mistakes in that and mistakes that I think a lot of us make. You know, I, one of the biggest mistakes that I made was, you know, I had been in the Army for 11 years. I had been in the 75th Ranger Regiment for just shy of a decade. And, you know, in all that time as a sergeant first class, you're expected to be this indomitable guy, 10 feet tall, bullets are flying and you know the boys are all looking at you and you better take a deep breath, be cool and do the right thing. Let your training take over. Nobody tells you that when you walk out of the service that you need to start learning how to take those layers of armor off. And it's really wholly unrealistic to think that somebody who has been living like that for 11 years and experienced combat 
would walk into the VA or the mental health offices and say, hey, I need help. Because you don't. And I didn't. I said, I don't want anything from you. I ripped out everything in my med records that had anything to do with behavioral health because I had, I had spent quite a bit of time in some behavioral health settings. Uh, I didn't want any of that on my records. And they said, well, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. I don't want anything from you. And so I was like, okay. So as it turns out, going six years with undiagnosed PTSD and traumatic brain injuries, exacerbated by sleep apnea, exacerbated by a lot of musculoskeletal damage that I had sustained in my 10 years of rangering, it's a really bad technique for trying to figure out how to be a husband and a father and how to knit together a family that has already experienced so much wreckage from the war, from separation, from anger, from bitterness, all of that. Yeah. As you're sharing this, something that just hit me was there's this aha moment that you're going to share in a moment. But before you do that, what held you guys together? Because when you describe what you just shared, most of those families don't make it. There is inevitably a separation or divorce. And the fact that you guys made it that far in the journey with undiagnosed PTSD and all that, what do you think the element of that was for your family to stay together? Stubbornness, grit. As a ranger, there were plenty of road marches, 30 milers. I have blood pouring out of the drain holes in my jungle boots, right? And I'm not going to stop. Like it was that grit and determination, fear of failure. For me, I recognized that I had been so dissociated for so much of my life that it was kind of just like, I'm just going to keep pushing. If I just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. And I think we don't realize that while there are some benefits, so to speak, to that in the sense that the marriage never really dissolved. The, the truth, though, is that we just never signed the paperwork. I mean, the marriage, we really did so much damage to our original marriage. Unfortunately, you know, we did a lot of damage to our kids and experiencing that just in terms of the pain, the stress and whatnot. But you know, Kelly and I, when we reflect back, you know, we, we think it was really a lot about grit. Faith wasn't really a big part of our family. She was raised by, her mother was a Christian and her father was agnostic. And, you know, they really encouraged her kind of like the, the standard 80s, 90s playbook, right? You know, well, we just want you to figure out what's right on your own. We don't want to push you, which is, in my estimation, an abysmally horrible technique. And then on the other hand, on my side of the family, you know, I'm Jewish. Uh, I come from a non-practicing Jewish family. And so we always talked about like, you're a Jew and that matters, but nobody ever talked about God and calling on the father when we really need it. That's something that I really embraced beginning in my army training. Like many a nights, you know, I would, I'd be like, geez, God, like help me out here. This is miserable or heading into a target. I'd be reciting Psalm 23 inside my, in the bird out loud. But Kelly and I were both just really lost and, and trying to figure out what anchors do we have? And grit and determination was a big part of it internally. Stubbornness was a big part of it. We didn't want to quit. We didn't want to be failures, quote. And in addition to that, we did have a, a good group of people, Ranger family. We had people like Thanksgiving every year was the Ranger family. That was our family. And so I think that there's a little bit of that also social pressure, but also social tension that holds you up together to stay together. The grit, the struggle, the stubbornness, certainly not the playbook for a life that is thriving, but yet your story that is a part of it. There's another element that I think is just 
It's miraculous. It's the part that this whole podcast is dedicated to. And it's the piece of healing. Like how do the struggle produces something amazing? And that struggle for you produced something that truly is, you know, I think on the, on the category of healing and redemptive was pretty special. So maybe I'd love to have the audience or listeners understand more of that dynamic. Cause I think that really is a power, powerful part of your story, you and Kelly and your family. Yeah, I think the Apostle Paul really kind of puts a fine point on this when he talks about how perseverance leads to character and character leads to hope and hope will not put us to shame when it's the right kind of hope, right? Not not a hope that is anchored to to ourselves, to what we can do, to what we can accomplish, to our stubbornness or grit, but a hope in the Lord. And during those years, when I got out of the army, I really made a, another bad decision because I just kind of kept running and I, I took a sales job that led me to the road. I was gone three nights, three, four nights a week. I was always on the road, partly because I, I really didn't think anybody at home wanted me around. Also, I, I had just kind of cut my club card to the Rangers and I felt like now I'm just on my own out here, which is all just lies, frankly. That was self-imposed isolation and nothing good is born of isolation. But I did that to myself, you know, night in and night out in hotels. And when I thought back to what am I doing? <laughs> you know, like, where am I going in life? This is, you know, I, I'm, I'm tired. I remember just feeling so tired. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of pushing. I'm tired of, I'm tired of being alone and feeling lonely. I would start to look back on situations that I had had in Afghanistan and even situations as a child when I was just scared and those times when I'd be crying out to God to save me because I, I had always had that knowledge that, you know, there was a God, he's out there, and I'm not really quite sure what to make of, of all of that. I really had a hard time with the idea of Jesus, uh, which is natural coming out of a Jewish background. And, you know, gosh, the day in and day out, I would have these conversations with Christian guys who were rangers with me and or had served with me and just just good dudes. You know, we would the beautiful thing about the army is you're hard pressed to find a more diverse organization and, and one that truly understands belonging and the power of belonging and how that is the beginning of so many, so many great things. Right. You know, it didn't matter if I was a Jew who had like a lot of negative thoughts or this and that, and he, he was a Christian or whatever, like we would just talk because guess what? You're still wearing the same uniform. You're still in the same unit. You can disagree with me, but we can stay aligned in mission. And so I just had so many questions and thoughts and I had so many great people. And in 2006, I had the honor to compete in the best Ranger competition for the 75th Ranger Regiment team. And my partner, Jeremiah Pittman is just a strong Christian man. And we, we would spend night after night just in the backwoods of Fort Benning under stars talking. And I'd challenge him and he'd challenge me. And we were just open because this is my brother. I want to hear what you have to say. And, and he never pushed me. He just kind of loved me. And so after a while, all of my questions would start to kind of come back to the same experience where I, I would remember those times in Afghanistan where I thought, no way I'm making it out of this. I'm never going to see my son again. And, and yet I'm crying out to God to save me. But I never acknowledged God otherwise in my life. And I had to I had to really wrestle with that and say, what's up with that? That doesn't jive. God's not like a slot machine or a cosmic butler that you just ring the bell when you need help. Like you can't just sit here and act like God's going to pull you out of the fire when he needs to. And he did. 
and not acknowledge him. So I started really asking questions. And another Ranger buddy, John Schaefer, was like, hey, man, I know you're not a Christian, but we're doing this men's fraternity thing at my church. I'd love you to join. You know, I know you didn't grow up with a dad and you want to come. And so I would come and these guys would just accept me and I would just start asking questions. And where that all led to me, led for me was uh, in 2012, I gave my life to Christ. Kelly did at the same exact time. And this was after 10 years of just a hard, hard, hard marriage. So we came to Christ. Uh, we got invited to uh, Mission Hills Church in Littleton. And, you know, we show up and it's like mega church, like mega, mega church. I'm like, what are we doing here? I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to walk in this building. We walked in and this big old church made it so small in an instant. It's amazing how a handshake can make big space turn really small or a smile can make uncertainty turn into warmth and comfort. And they just said like, hey, glad you're here. Glad to get to know you. Welcome. And uh, we just kept coming back. Jesus was the turning point for our family and for our lives and for my life and my healing journey. What I love about it is the fact that you wrestled and you asked the hard questions. Because I think sometimes this idea of faith and the journey of accepting Jesus is like, oh, we just wake up one day and it's like, yep, this all makes sense. And for some, maybe that is the path, but for you, it's like, man, I've got a lot of questions I've got to unpack. And, and then the other element is community, like people around you that were not trying to convert you or, you know what I mean? Like there's so much of that twistedness that can come out, but people just love it and say, hey man, it's okay to bring your questions. I might not have the answer. So to me, that's a beautiful picture of what community should look like and what it needs to look like. And you know, the fact that it's part of your healing journey. I guess the natural question is, did everything just change? Like you landed at this church and then all the stuff from behind you, the baggage that you carry around, did it just dissipate? Or I mean, what was kind of the events that unfolded where you and you and I talked and you're like, man, it's a very different reality in terms of Kelly and I and the way I even view life. I mean, maybe share a little bit of that, that journey because I also see like the PTSD, like that's not something that just whoo, disappears, right? I mean, undiagnosed six years. So I think our listeners, they're probably asking those same questions right now. I get it. There is nothing in my faith, right, in the Christian faith that ever suggests that once you give your life to Christ, you get the baptism, you're down in the water and you're back up, right? It's like whew, everything is magical tomorrow. In fact, I would tell you that the Christian walk, I think, is even more challenging because you got to kind of give a crap when sometimes you don't really want to give a crap. It's really hard. It's hard to try and love love your brother when you're really frustrated at, at your brother. It's hard, you know, when you're angry not to sin in that anger. This is, you know, we all use these big fancy theological words like sanctification, the sanctification process and whatnot. And that's great, you know, and, and that's accurate, right? But it's the knowledge that it is a journey. It is a process. Did everything change for me the moment that I gave my life to Christ? Yes. Yes, and, right? This is the tension of, of, the, of the now and, the now and the not yet, right? So yes, things changed fundamentally at a spiritual level, at an existential level, in terms of renewal, regeneration, the future of all things. But the truth is, is that like, I kind of got the whole Jesus thing up here in my head, but I didn't get it down here in my heart. The greatest distance for me, even though I had been running for 33 years, to try and, and basically running away from God, 
truly the greatest distance was between my head and my heart because I had to figure out like, okay, what does this mean? And it was, it has been a constant process of surrender. I think surrender is, is the most powerful, you know, really antithetical. Surrender is very antithetical to a ranger and a ranger lifestyle, to a soldier, to a service member, to a firefighter, to a police officer, all of our brothers and sisters who are out there on the front line serving and putting their lives at risk, you accept a degree of indifference. You learn a degree of indifference to the fear, the suffering, the pain, the life on the line, all of that in the service of others and in the service of your mission. And so when you live a life like that, and then you're put in a paradigm where you have a reality that you understand I actually can't fight my way through this. I can't actually grit my way or grind my way through this. I actually can't be indomitable because the truth is I'm not actually indomitable. And as much as I have experienced indifference, well, that's really great because it helped me do my job. And in reality, it turns into dissociation. And there's a degree of dissociation that's healthy. You need it for those kind of dangerous jobs. But it is not healthy and it is unhelpful outside of those settings. And so for me, what, what ended up happening is that I started to come to terms with some of this stuff and, and not really by choice. You know, I, I wasn't super stoked about it, if I could just be perfectly honest. Um, and I wasn't super aware of it. I just kept kind of grinding and fighting. And, you know, I, we became Christians and it was like, cool, what do we do now? Like people would say like, oh, well, you guys have had a tough marriage. We get that. You just got to put Jesus at the center of your marriage. We, people would tell us that all the time. And I'm like, sweet. What does that mean? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't even know what that means. Right. Like, and, and nobody could answer that question for me. Right. And so, so we had this dynamic where we had these couples who would kind of come alongside us and, you know, we did the life groups and we did all this stuff. And on a spiritual level, we were experiencing a lot of healing yet still for me, I had a lot of issues because at this time I still hadn't been diagnosed with PTSD because I never went in and told the truth. And you know, I remember there was a, a season where I was working with Team Red, White, and Blue at the national level, and I was also the Denver chapter captain. And you know, we had this beautiful movement connected over 150,000 veterans to over 200 communities, and really helped them enrich their lives and, and work on this idea of health, people, and purpose. To the fact that we did so much work and, and did such detailed evaluation that we created a a systematic evaluation framework that we got to present at the American Psychological Association annual meeting in 2018. And the DOD adopted it, you know, our enriched life scale to work on it. So I'm sitting here working on the enriched life scale and all these events, you know, with all these veterans, you know, we're chumming it up, meeting all these folks. And one of my Navy veteran sisters, Dana, and I were chopping it up at an event one day. And we were just talking, I, I had something and I had to go to the doctor. I'm like, I, I had to go get the doctor's appointment and this and that. And she's like, oh, cool. Yeah. You know, do you go to the golden VA? And I'm like, oh no, I don't, I don't do, I don't have any VA. And she's like, wait a minute, what's your rating? You know, what's your disability rating? I was like, I don't have one. And she's like, Brandon, that's not possible. I was a surface warfare officer. We all experienced things. I did that for five years. And I have a rating and I, I get great care from the VA. You were a ranger for a decade and went to war four times. What do you mean you don't have a rating and you don't get any care from the VA? And so she said, I'm going to hook you up with somebody. And I want you to talk to him. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll do that. 
because he was a Marine, a retired Marine infantryman, like it's like, you know, he had that kind of like credibility. I was like, fine, because my my sister, you know, Dana was like, I want you to talk to this guy. I'm like, fine, I'll go talk to him. So I go sit down and talk to him. And, you know, we're sitting here talking. He's like, all right, cool. You know, like, so, yeah, let's let's get your claims going again. This is, again, six years after I got out of the Army, three years after coming to Christ. And he's like, yeah, you know, okay, so here's my suggestion of what we submit, post-traumatic stress disorder, traumatic brain injuries, blah, blah, the whole nine yards. And I was like, I don't have PTSD. And he's like, okay. We sat and talked for a little bit longer and, you know, kind of went through the inventory of, tell me what your life looks like. How's your anger level? I'm like, I've got a really in-depth relationship with anger. He's like, tell me what that looks like with your kids. I'm like, it's not good. I melt them to the ground. Okay, tell me what it looks like with your family and your wife. I'm like, well, that's another subject. Tell me about this. Tell me about that. And he just asked afterwards, I haven't slept through the night in years. I can't remember the last time I slept all the way through the night. I literally had hypervigilance calling the cops on situations that aren't actually really don't need somebody to call the cops on, right? Getting angry, like blowing up at kids in the neighborhood, you know, and, and he just after a while, he said, brother, that's not normal. It's normal that you are doing these things, but it's not normal that that is part of who you are now, right? It's not really who you are. It's how you're behaving because PTSD is a, is a normal response to an abnormal set of circumstances. He kind of unpacked that. Yeah. Okay. I dig it, but I'm just not sure that this is right. And so he said, here's what I want you to do something for me. He said, will you do an experiment for me? I said, sure. And he said, he gave me this two pieces of paper and the piece of paper was the same, same piece of paper and had this image of a a picture of a knight, like a knight in an armor, you know, like shield, helmet, sword, the whole nine yards. Right. And off to each end of, you know, one of these things, like off, off the side of the shield, there was a line and it said hypervigilance. And off to the sword, there was a line and it said anger. And then off to the head, there was a line and it said like lack of sleep or difficulty sleeping. There were like 20 or 25 things on there, right? And he said, it was the same piece of paper, two of them. He said, I want you to take this home and I want you to circle the things that you feel you experience. But I want you to also give the other piece of paper to Kelly. And I want you to ask her to circle the things that she has seen in you. And I don't want you to bring it back and we'll look at it together. I don't want you to look at it until until you bring it back. And I said, okay, cool, I'll trust you. And so I brought it back and it was a wake up call. I think I had had like three or four things circled, you know, and just like, wow, you know, but that's normal, you know, this and that, you know, and Kelly had a lot more circled than I did. I think the hard thing, you know, in retrospect, and I credit the Holy Spirit for navigating us through that, because the hard thing is to ask somebody else to have the trust to say, I will try this or to have the trust to say, I want to hear what you're seeing, even if it's from your spouse, because asking someone else to get into your circle and make an assessment. That's, that's hard stuff, especially when the relationship is laced with so much like kinetic energy from all of the trauma that you're in. It's usually an argument. Will you this? Will you that? Will you this? And it's hard to receive. But when you break it down to a kind of like a safe space setting and have somebody actually give you an objective analysis and say, like, I love you and this is what I'm seeing. It was a real wake up call for me. That wake up call led to an appointment and many appointments. And I walked into the, uh, VA office for my uh, assessment. And I sat down with a therapist and I told her the truth for the first time. I haven't slept through the night. I can't remember the last time I slept through the night. I'm angry all the time. I can't stop myself. I want to stop myself. I don't know how to stop myself. 
some days I don't want to be alive. I have had thoughts, you know, of suicidal ideation. Like I just don't want to live like this anymore. And she, <laughs> it was like, she looks at me and she's like, well, so you have PTSD. And I was like, that's it. And she's like, yeah, it's that simple for you. And she's like, Brandon, you were a ranger. You went to war four times. What did you think was going to happen? She's like, did you really think it was going to be anything else? I mean, when you put it that way, doc, no. <laughs> In that moment, did that feel like relief for you to actually understand a little bit more about why these things were happening, these behaviors were taking place? Or was that more like, ooh, just, man, the unknown, the uncharted territory that now being told that I have this is super scary. Kind of where did that, where did that hit you? Yeah, I mean, it hit me in the heart. Like I started crying. Um, now I'm crying in a, in a VA psych's office, right? And I'll tell you the other thing that was a big part of it, because I'm not trying to milk the system or get any money or I, I'm not, I'm not that guy. Like I want nothing to do with that. I don't want, and she's like, Hey, relax. She's like, listen, I know what you're thinking. Okay. <laughs> it's like, I get guys that come in here and they say like, I have PTSD and I ask them to recount a situation from their service. And they say, well, you know, I was a mechanic and I reached into my toolbox and there was a snake there and it frightened me. And she's like, yeah, you don't have PTSD. You're fine. Right. She's like, you're the kind of person that we need to, you know, like you have PTSD. Like you're not like everything that you've explained to me is not normal. right? The, the amount of times that you almost die, the amount of days that you four or five days a week that you were getting mortared, rocketed, shot at the amount of nights that you were driving through the night, never sleeping because you couldn't drive during the day for fear of a roadside bomb helicopters that were almost crashed, all this kind of stuff. She's like, dude, it's okay. And this is the next thing that she said to me really, really took me off guard. Right. So I said, okay, so what now? Like is now the part where you hand me like a bag of pills, you know, or whatnot. And she's like, she's like, okay, so I do have a prescription for you. I would like you to start doing yoga. That's my first prescription for you. And I was like, what? Like lady, you're like, preconceived notions that I have, you are just like busting them like left and right. Like you're supposed to be beating me up and you're supposed to be chucking a bag full of pills at me. Like, what is your deal? And she's like, we just want to help you, man. Let's start with yoga. Let's go from there. Let's get you plugged in. I'd like to, would you like to talk to somebody? I'd like to get you to talk to somebody regularly. And it was just a lot of behavioral stuff. And, and just a short story after that, guys that I, I'd love to share with you. And, and Kenny, I, I feel like you'll re you'll really connect potentially with this story. But so about two weeks after I get diagnosed with PTSD, and I think this really speaks to your question about what did it really feel like? So I had registered with a bunch of Ranger buddies to do a race called the Mount Evans Ascent. The Mount Evans Ascent is the highest road race in America. It starts at 10,000 feet of elevation on Echo Lake and you run up a 14er. So you run up 14 miles up the road to 14,000, I think it's like two or 300 feet or something like that, right? All pavement and you're running. And so there I am, I'm a couple weeks after I had gotten diagnosed with PTSD. So I'm running up the mountain, right? Hammering it, staying on my pace. Like I'm going to, I'm going to hit three hours, right? Or whatever the time was. I think it was three hours. I cannot underscore how much the suck factor on this is high fellas, right? You know, you start at 10,000 feet. So you got the altitude sickness coming in, you're running up, you're, you're hammering, you're going. And I was carrying an American flag the whole way up. 
with my team RWB shirt on and I'd be passing people up and right there like, yeah, man, go get it. America, you know, this and that. And I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And about two miles from the finish line, you know, I'm, I'm on my pace. I'm going well and everything like that. I had this moment where I just was like, I don't want to run anymore. And it's not the first time that I had had that thought when I was out, you know, I mean, like I said, I did best ranger in 06, you know, I've done plenty of the horrific grueling events where I'm just hammering plenty of times that, you know, you'd be out on those long ruck marches and you'd be like, dude, I wish like maybe if I break my ankle, then I can like get out of like the last 10 miles of this and not be seen as like a, a turd or anything like that. Right. But like, but I had the thought, like, I don't want to run anymore. And for the first time in all of my years of feeling that I just stopped running and I started walking and I was like, I don't have to run anymore. And so I started, I started walking. Right. And I was like two miles away from the finish line. And I, and I, but I was walking and I was like, it had felt so freeing and I didn't feel like a quitter or anything. Cause I was still moving forward. I just changed my mindset and realized I don't have to keep rocking it until the wheels fall off. I don't have to live like this anymore. I'm not a ranger anymore. I'm not carrying a gun anymore. It is what it is. I had just been diagnosed with PTSD and it was so funny because I had all these people passing me on the road. They're like, Hey man, you can do it. Keep going. I'm like, yep, thanks. And then another guy, Hey, you've been carrying me up this hill with that flag, man. Don't stop. I'm like, I'm not stopping. I'm, I'm going to get there. I promise. And another guy was like, Hey, you can do this. I'm like, Hey, I know I can. I don't want to run anymore. And how many of us out there have that feeling like, I just don't want to hurt anymore. I don't want to run anymore. I don't want to, that just really, the whole frame of mind changed for me. And then it started to lead me down a path where I could say, Kenny mentioned it at the top, like, you know, hey, thank God we got two Rangers here that are like out of the game and we're not like overweight and everything like that. For me, I changed from a performance to a wellness mindset. And I started thinking about things. What can I do? And, and I'll tell you, five to six days a week, I am doing a 45 to 60 minute workout of some type and I'm doing it to be well. That is a key part of my mental health, my physical health, my spiritual health. We are mind, body, soul. All these things are connected. But it just really changed, Noel. And, and I think that's a, you know, that that was a real light bulb moment for me. And it was just after I had gotten that diagnosis. The thing that really struck me when you said this was kindness. And I think it's easy for ex us to express kindness to others and to have empathy for others, but rarely for the fighter, for the person who's driven, for the person who's taken down the target or running into the burning building. Kindness for ourselves, that's not even in the equation. The idea of kindness for us and who we are as a person, that's a category that's unchecked and very rarely talked about. And when you shared that, that story, it was like, man, kindness to say, it's okay if I don't run. It's okay. So for what it's worth, man, powerful. Kenny. Did you see me move my pencil? So you thought, no. oh, Kenny has something to say. I, I know your cues, buddy. I know your cues. The word that Brandon used was surrender. And how many, t how many of these podcasts have we done, Noel, where, you know, I'm the guy that comes back and keeps track of the, the recurring themes that we see, but no one's ever used that word. They've always used the word, surrender is synonymous with the word that everyone else uses, which is vulnerability. And because and what he did, just one, Brandon, you're super well-spoken. You've had a lot of practice because you didn't, you didn't learn that in regiment, I promise you. 
<laughs> we can hold entire sentences with just the F-bomb. And it was True. crazy. And then you, I had to really work. I had to work at just getting that out of my vocabulary. And, and you're very, very well spoken. Thank but you, brother. Surrender is, is, is synonymous with that word vulnerability and being willing to, okay, I've got to work on myself. You know, we had this, we would always break our core beliefs or our core ways of doing things down to, into simple. And usually it was threes, but our core foundation for how we approached life in the Ranger Regiment was my mission, my people came before myself. It was that team over me thing and the mission. And it was really easy to focus on just the mission and just your people. That was that selfless leader, that, especially as the E7. You know, I got to stand there and I'm Superman because they're all looking at us. That's Sergeant Thomas. He better be, look at him during, let's, you know, that, and it, the challenge that we now on the other side of it, where we have to go back to these folks that are trying to transition out of that headspace is you can't, you can't ignore the myself part. And the idea is that it's not that it's, it's myself as a selfish thing. It's my people and my mission. But the better you can be of yourself, the better you are to serve others. And then the better they are to serve the mission. And I think that comes back to Brandon also. Then he says that I changed my mindset from a performance base to a wellness base. And that's another key thing that just jumped out at me because, you know, the Ranger motto was Rangers lead the way. And they never told you that was a rank. They told you that was the example you set for others to follow. And I always thought that, you know, I had my own ideas as a young man, what set the example meant. I thought it was performance-based. Watch how good I am. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to shoot, move, and communicate. I'm going to run my sub five-minute mile and I'm going to shoot better. And I'm going to... Now that we're out here and you start realizing that there's people that can move a little faster and shoot a little bit better, it doesn't make them better leaders. It doesn't make them better examples. And the example... I've so have shifted to that exact same thought. It's like, it's not about the performance so much as it is the wellness of oneself, heart, body, mind, and soul. And the better we are at that, the better we can then serve our people and our mission. There were so many different points I started writing down, Brandon, but just so you know, we were so aligned on that. But it does come back to that common thread that we see, Noel, that it takes that that surrender and that vulnerability to step back and say, okay, and it takes a person. Remember, we've always had that other person to kind of get in our butt, get in our ass and tell us, yeah, you've got, you got something and you need to go do something about it. For you, it was the girl from the Navy. For me, it was a dude, a buddy of mine. It was a TAC P in the Air Force. He's like, yeah, Kenny, you're not fine. And it's, <laughs> and I can see it. And it's not about you anymore. It's about the people around you, if you want to look at it, and that's your family. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think I think the family becomes the hardest. When we think about like reintegration and reconnection, the family is the hardest part, I think. You know, you have all these like constructs established in your mind of, of what things are going to be. I thought I was just going to keep, you know, going, I'll be a, I'll go to war and I'll come back. And, you know, Kelly will just be waiting there, obviously, right? I'm a ranger, you know, and it's like, yeah, but after a while, you know, the amount of like havoc that that creates between you and your spouse and you and your children, you know, I think going back over to what you said about surrender, Kenny, it's, it's really hard, especially when you grow up, you know, in our creed, it says surrender is not a ranger word. 
And for everybody else that is listening to this podcast and, and on the journey with Stronger Families, I am confident you have your own variation of that, regardless of where you serve, what profession that you serve in. And so the willingness to actually recognize what I'm doing is not working for this setting. What I'm doing is not working anymore. And to realize that, you know, I've got to surrender. I've got to get some help here. I've got to do something. I can't fix this. For me, realizing I cannot fix this. I cannot ranger my way through this. I can't go further, faster, and fight harder through this. And I think everybody will experience that. If you haven't experienced that in life yet, you will experience it. You will hit the wall of life and realize your finitude, so to speak. And you will, you will start to understand, like, I have got to find something else. I need help. There is a greater, there's something outside of me that is greater than me that can help me. And that's where I, I think our spiritual fitness cannot be overlooked. But I also just want to mention, like, it's really hard to surrender because it is damn scary. The truth is, is it's scary. When you're a firefighter, a cop, a ranger, a SEAL, a soldier, a Marine, whatever, right? That is your identity in many ways because these kind of roles, they're not just jobs, they're lifestyles. It becomes your identity. And so for me to say, I don't want to run anymore, I'm not going to run anymore. I don't have to run anymore. It's scary because it's like I'm, it's like I'm ripping off the ranger and saying like, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not so ranger anymore. Maybe my buddies won't accept me anymore. Maybe I'm out of the cool guy club now. It, it's, it's terrifying because it's, it's a little bit of a death of self. And I will tell you that a lot of the work that I do, I every week I have my therapy appointment with my headstrong provided therapist. She's amazing. And we talk a lot about parts work. And it's good to have a professional voice sit there and say, yes, that makes sense. You were a ranger. That's a part of you. It will always be a part of you. You're also a father. You're also a Christian. You're also a husband. You're also a business owner. You're also a friend. We get so locked into this identity asymmetry where we put so much of our identity into the job, the role. And I think it becomes scary because it's like a death of self. And I don't want to admit that to myself and my mates. I don't want to surrender that. But it's a lie. In embracing surrender and receiving help, you are doing the most courageous thing that you could do and the most vulnerable thing that you could do. And you're not killing that part of yourself. You're just acknowledging maybe that's not what the world needs of me right now. Right. Yeah. Hmm. I want to come back to the integration that you were talking about, wellness, the category, but the integration with family. I think that's one of the hardest things that we see on a regular basis when we're talking. I would say that the health is really is really challenged. And that's that's why I, I'm so passionate about the mission of Stronger Families and what you guys are doing, because there are so many families in the military, and yet so many divorces in the military, so many casualties that this war has claimed in families. I grew up with six guys in a four-man barracks room in the 2nd Ranger Battalion. I am the only one that is still married to his wife. The rest of them have all divorced. They have multiple divorces amongst them. Now, the truth is, I tell people all the time, Honestly, I'm on my second marriage to my first wife is the reality of it. And the way that that came about, Noel, is that come 2018, we had had some really deep, thoughtful conversations. And Kelly just said, look, I love you. I don't want to lose this life that we built together and we fought for, but you're just never 
here. You're never here. I have been traveling for 20 years, some years as much as 100% during the war years, some years, you know, as little as 30%, about an average of 60%. And that's just no way to functionally create that knitting. And at the same time, our church came to us and they said, hey, we're looking at this program called Reengage. It's a marriage ministry out of Watermark Church in Dallas. We think you'd be good. Do you want to? Do you want to help us take a look at it and and lead this thing and bring it on to church, onto our church? And we were like, "You got the wrong people." And they said, "Well, that's why we think you're the right people. We actually think that this is what you're supposed to do." And I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, we'll pray about it, right?" And so we did it. And the structure in Reengage is is very powerful in that it really encourages you. It invites you into the opportunity to stop managing your reputation and to cut the crap and to actually say, what is actually happening? What's really going on in your heart? What's really going on in your marriage? And to do it in a community that is for your marriage and that is for you and that is for Christ. And, and we really started to heal. And I will tell you guys, the powerful journey that unfolded in our in our process through that in a setting that that enabled us to have those kind of true conversations we unpacked the real story we unpacked the real story for 15 years all the deceptions all the lies all the terrible mistakes that we had made the horrible things that we had done to each other we told the real story we brought it before the Lord. We brought it before our spouse. We asked for forgiveness. We said, I'm sorry. We took responsibility for it. We didn't try to explain it away. We took responsibility for our own stuff. And we offered forgiveness to one another. And we were able to move on. And that's right there was when my heart was finally cracked open. And Jesus, who was up in my head, just invaded my heart. And I could feel for the first time honestly, that I could ever recall. Feeling emotions that were other than anger or I could feel things for the first time. I could feel hurt. I could feel joy. I could feel sadness and recognize like, wow, this is, whoa, this is sadness. And then to start combining that with other modalities, the therapy I told you, I got help from the Marcus Institute for Brain Health. I went to their three-week intensive outpatient program and got some work done by neurologists and speech-language pathologist. I did the EMDR work. I started wrestling with my trauma. I didn't even know I had sleep apnea. I got diagnosed with sleep apnea. No wonder. Surprise, you have sleep apnea. You were a master breacher for Charlie Company 275. You've blown more charges and more houses than you could even count. Of course, you've got some brain issues that are causing all this other stuff, and you probably have some soft palate damage. All of these things you know, started to kind of come together in this space, and our family started to come together. Now I know what it means to put Jesus at the center of your marriage. Mm -hmm. And what it means is that we, we stop trying to fight and go towards each other. And we start working our way back towards God and working our way back towards Christ through the spirit. And, and lo and behold, what we found is that we were standing at the base of the cross together, holding hands so much to the fact that I actually asked my wife to marry me again. That's why I wear two rings. We were able to get married right there at the church that we gave our lives to Christ in with both of our children standing there beside us as our maid of honor and best man. That is redemption. That is resurrection. That is renewal. And, and that is all based on the power of Jesus in our lives. 
and the blessing of mental health care and the blessing of physical health care that we have afforded to us. And I would just say this. I know it's hard, hard to start the journey. It's hard to stay on the journey. Gents, don't misunderstand me. I have rough weeks. It's been a rough week. And I'll tell you right now, I pulled the ripcord last night, called my therapist and said, I need an emergency appointment. Let's get on an appointment tomorrow. Let's get together. I got to talk some stuff out. This ain't sunshine and Skittles every day, guys. Like <laughs> this is this is the real world. Yep. If you're willing to have the courage to live the kind of life that you've lived and serve on the blade's edge that you're willing to serve on, I would just challenge anybody listening to have the courage to trust somebody who's been on this path, maybe is a little further down the road on the journey, join them, give it a try. Be willing to lay down your armor just a little bit and see what could happen, see what could be. Because I will tell you right now, I'm a far better man today, even though I'm a little bit slower than I ever was when I was under a black or a tan beret out there on the front lines of our country. I'm a better man for it. Gosh, Brandon, I just want to say thank you for uh, sharing your story because honestly, in 45 minutes, what maybe a little bit longer than that, what you just unpacked for so many, a lifetime of trying to discover and move towards healing. I mean, in 45 minutes, you've been able to give that roadmap. So I just want to say thank you for so many because I know many are going to benefit from being able to hear this and the authentic vulnerability that you did it within. I mean, it's just, you instantly go, yeah, okay. <laughs> I need what you have. So I, if you're out there listening, truly, I mean, if this is your story and you're, you're finding elements of it and you're going, that's me, that's me, that's me, please do not delay. Reach out to Stronger Families. We want to connect with you. We want to be able to provide the resources that you need to continue to make this journey happen. And I won't put Brandon out there as a, hey, reach out to Brandon, but I know this guy, he is one that's got a huge heart. And I know that uh, when it comes to taking care of other people, that's where he's at. So Brandon, man, this is amazing. I don't even know where to go. I mean, th that that final piece right there, gosh, it was such a capstone on, I think, your story and just the beauty and the challenges, right? All in one. Well, thanks, Noel. Thanks again for the opportunity. Thank you, Kenny. It's a real blessing to be here with you guys and holler at me anytime I can do anything I can do to help. Kenny, I don't know about you, but man, that was one of those interviews that you're just sitting there going, okay, tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah. And I think in many ways, the truth that was being shared in such a tangible way, right? Sometimes it's like, oh, that's a cool story. Other times like, okay, we just, we just need to pause because this is like one of those moments. And I, I felt like for Brandon, the way he described his journey, his story, certainly well-spoken, but even more so the, the willingness to be vulnerable and really open up and share. And the takeaway that I had from hearing him, there's, I mean, there's a number, but the one that really stood out to me is and here you have a badass who is in every way, kind of the, the model figure of ranger grit, grinding it out, you know, making a way for himself, all those kind of things. And yet he realized in his journey that there had to be this moment of like, I don't need to still be in the performance mode. It's okay for me to say, it's okay to be kind to myself and step back from the fray to get the health that I need, the, the wellness that I need, not only for myself, but for my family. I just felt, man, if there's one thing we see over and over again when couples come to our seminars and we work with soldiers, this idea of being empathetic for themselves is so hard. Like it's just, it's a category that's unchecked and it makes sense, right? If you're going to go 
downrange and fight the fight or you're going to run into a burning building, you've got to have the grit and the fortitude to say, you know what? Surrender is not a, it's not a choice. Like we're going to take the hill. You know what I mean? But end of the day, that integration with their heart and their, and their mind and their soul and all that oftentimes is a piece that hurts. And, uh, ultimately doesn't get what it needs. So I don't know. What, what, are, what are some of the takeaways for you? That's why I kind of spoke up in the middle of it. I love the, I, the word surrender, that he used it in a manner that was opposite of our ranger upbringing. So the ranger creed, we say it every single day. And you, it's, you say something enough. You've heard me say this. You say something enough, you begin to believe it. When you believe it, you live it. And part of the ranger creed said, surrender is not a ranger word. Hmm. So for him to come up and say, I finally, I just had to surrender. And it's that vulnerability that he had to let go. And here's, here's where it was so dialed in for me, where it was so on point and on target for me was what Brandon said was, and you said it at the beginning here, where you're like, here's this guy who was this badass. His identity was in his time in uniform as a badass. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't just, I served in the military. It was like, I was a ranger. Right. And everybody knows kind of, Ooh, wow. And then you get known. Well, Brandon was this guy, he's this ranger. And now he's this really great. He's, he's doing all this stuff at the church and he's doing all the, or Kenny was, you know, Kenny was in Black Hawk Down. Really? Man, you would never know that. Yeah. And he's this, he's a badass. And there's something addicting and gratifying about that, uh, what was the word he used? About that persona. Then he goes and he uses the word surrender and he was willing to give that up. I don't need to run anymore. I don't need to be so performance-based and I don't need to be a badass because right now I'm a better man than I ever was Mm. as the box that I put myself in and everybody that I, I portrayed to the world that I was a ranger and I'm, he let go of that and letting go of that identity. Gosh, man, he used the great word. It was this management. Oh, his reputation, Management, managing your reputation. He let go of that. That's a big, big deal because you and I both know a lot of people and and me included. Mm -hmm. It was really, really tough, especially when you're getting asked to come tell the story. Yeah. I had to let go that that isn't who I am. And like Brandon said, it isn't, it was part of me. There's Sergeant Thomas, there's Ranger Kenny, but there's Kenny, the father, there's Kenny, the public servant. There's, I can take that stuff that I learned, that determination, that grit and that badassness, And now I can take it and put it into my life and change my servant leader model to be more about wellness than about performance. And I think that for me was the big deal for him where I know a lot of guys in that special operations community, it's scary to let go of that armor. Yeah. And I love how you just frame that because in many ways you weren't saying that he had to remove his identity as a ranger, but he integrated that identity to something far greater than just being the badass. He's evolved it. Go back to Jeff Struker, one of our very first podcasts we ever did, who was the ranger in Somalia, became a chaplain, a, a special operations chaplain. He was on the front lines and he was a badass. Well, he's just, he's evolved all that into who he is. We all come to that point where we realize you got to let go of oneself to become someone new in Christ 
and then let that mold you into this new self. And then you are now a, in a much better soldier to serve others. You gotta let it go. And you and I both know guys and girls that, that that's a tough one to let go of.